You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Colors Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Igo, the publisher of VoiceTheColors.net. And man, what a stunner inside Dottie Ficklin Stadium on Saturday. East Carolina's football team falls 42-3 to the visiting Houston Cougars. Senior day, not how anyone envisioned it going. And just stunning, shocking. Uh, it obviously would not have been a Surprised to see Houston come into Greenville and win, but to win in the fashion they did, just didn't see this coming. Nobody saw it coming. I would venture to say not even Dana Holgerson or any of the Houston players saw it coming. ECU entered the game as a six-point favorite, coming off a good performance at Cincinnati, a tough loss. We'll get into if that perhaps played a role in ECU's outing on Saturday, but just a a still <laughs> a still surprising result. Like it's just hard to process what we saw on the Dowdy Ficklin Stadium turf today. I feel for the seniors because they've worked so hard to turn this program around. And as I wrote before the game, regardless of what happened in these last few games, they're gonna go out winners for what they've done for the program. Even if they lose at Temple next week, this program is still going to a bowl game for the second consecutive year, has a chance to post a winning record, and that's a long way from when they came in. Now, clearly the goal will be to win at Temple and to secure a winning season, but, man, what a what a disappointing way to go out, though. And I just feel bad for them because clearly they didn't want to wrap it up like this. And this is just how it unfolded. That's what makes it unfortunate. You could see the disappointment, kind of the really the disbelief post game. We talked to Mike Houston and three seniors, Holden Aylers, Gerard Stringer, and Miles Berry. Really, the players seemed pretty stunned. Um, 
Miles Berry used the word embarrassed. Holt Naylor's used the words disappointed. Gerard Stringer was more so at a loss for words at what happened. And really on this podcast, as we sit here mere hours after the the game goes final, I'm going to do my best to try and explain what the hell went wrong for ECU. On Saturday, I've got five reasons that perhaps could explain what we saw in this 42-3 surprising result. And I'll go over each of those five, just what I've tried to gather after the game and what I saw, what I thought going in. So I'll share those here shortly in our immediate post-game reactions. But but certainly, no matter which way you slice it, a very disappointing outing. ECU loses the game 42-3, largest margin of defeat in the Mike Houston era, just ahead of the 38-point setback at Cincinnati in 2020. Uh, the Cougars jump out to a 21-0 halftime lead and then continue that in the second half. They roll up 515 yards of offense. ECU with just 315 on offense. ECU scores just three points against a defense that had allowed at least 20 points in every game this season and was allowing 36 points per game. And you do that with a veteran offense on senior day. So, yeah, just shocking. All right, let's get into what the hell happened. All right, my, my first and biggest reason is ECU's mentality. I just think clearly something was off going into this game. You don't play like ECU did through the first 10 games as a team and then lay that clunker of a performance on senior day if something isn't right mentally. And, you know, I don't know how much senior day and the emotions of it and all that really played a role, but I'm I'm guessing at least somewhat. I think it was a combination of the senior day talk, and I'm not going to like say that it's the media's fault or my fault for writing about how this senior class has turned things around, but you know maybe that did play a role of how I almost feel like it, maybe it lulled the players into a false sense of, sense of security because the storylines leading into the game were almost like patting the seniors on the back for what they've done, and you know, we have to write about that. It's our job to recognize what the seniors have done going into senior day. And I don't know if they got caught up in that and almost felt like, all right, our job's done here no matter what we do. Um, clearly they said they wanted to win. They acted like that. But you just wonder maybe that kind of lulled them into a false sense of security. Everything surrounding senior day, family coming in, you know, everybody wishing you good luck going to your last game, the emotions of it. That combined with the Cincinnati loss, you go on the road, you're playing for the right to go to a conference championship or at least to set yourself up for that. You lay everything on the line in one of your more physical games of the year, probably your most physical game of the year. You come up short in heartbreaking fashion. You feel like you kind of got robbed. You get some pats on the back from the fans all week leading into the Houston game, then the emotions of senior day, kind of all positive press, and then you go out and lay a, a clunker, the, one of the worst outings of the, the Coach coach Houston era. And it kind of reminds me of when they went to Tulsa in 2020 
Should have won the game. Should have had a marquee win early in Houston's tenure. Lost on some controversy. Everybody was patting them on the back. Then they come home the next week. Very winnable game against Tulane. And get smoked in very similar fashion. And, you know, again, we have to remember these players are human. They have human emotions. They're not robots. They read stuff. No matter how much they say, they ignore the noise, all that sort of stuff. It plays a role. The mental approach to a game plays a role. Mike Houston and his coaching staff have said all along that when this team is at its best this season, it's the way they lock in Thursday and Friday leading into game day, and that approach allows them to take their play to another another level. It just felt like something was off the last few days, talking with some people and and definitely going into the game, like pregame didn't have the same vibe to it. Even the stadium crowd, it just felt off. And two, this is the first day game ECU has played in like, I don't know, a very long time. I think at Tulane. So what we're learning is ECU apparently not a very good day football team. Um, they've had so many night games, maybe they just weren't locked in from that standpoint. So... I don't know. That That's just my biggest takeaway is the mental side of the game. You heard Coach Houston reference it after the game. He took blame for it. He said the, the guys were not in the same headspace as they needed to be, and he felt that played a role in the game. So there's number one for me, and I think the biggest thing, clearly that the mental approach we saw was not what it had been. And I think that certainly uh, played a role in the 42-3 loss. All right, number two is Houston's talent and the fact that Houston played its best game of the year. And let's not, obviously this is an ECU-focused podcast, and you know certainly we focus more on ECU, but I always bring up the point, the other team has coaches that get paid a lot of money too. The other team has players on scholarship. And Houston going into the season was picked to win the American Athletic Conference or picked up there was a preseason top 25 team. They did not live up to expectations. Certainly lately they have not played as well as they could play, but they've still won 4 or 5, now 5 or 6. 4 or 5 coming into this game, even with some shaky wins, some shaky performances, certainly on the defensive side of the ball, which we'll get into. But still, their talent level, specifically on offense across the board and their defensive front, are as good as any team EC will face this season. We saw both of those come to light on Saturday, and Houston didn't make many mistakes, especially defensively, for the first time in a long time. Uh, they executed tremendously. Offensively, Clayton Toon played a phenomenal football game. Uh, their receivers, Tank Dale, Matthew Golden, played great. Their offensive line, I think, picked up every single blitz from East Carolina. They were certainly prepared for all that, had an answer for it did not matter what ECU did defensively, they had an answer for it. Blitzing, delayed blitzing coverage, three-man rush, four-man rush, blitzing from the boundary, blitzing from the field. I mean, they had an answer for everything, so certainly you have to give Houston credit. They're seemingly ascending towards the end of the season. They played a tremendous football game offensively, and then defensively, they have the pass rushers to wreck your offense. And the other thing is, if you get down versus a team that is really good at rushing the passer and you become, in turn, one-dimensional, you're going to struggle. 
Houston, when it has led for most of this year, has played pretty good. When they've been in even matchups, when teams can stick to the run and not be one-dimensional, they've struggled defensively. ECU, by virtue of the score and by virtue of not executing offensively early in the game, became one-dimensional and struggled, and Houston's talent in the defensive front took over. I think they had two sacks, but a whole lot more pressures, Um, and we'll get more into that as we roll into our next point, which kind of goes with number two, but this game was a bad matchup for ECU from the standpoint of what has ECU done really well defensively all season? They've stopped the run. What have they struggled with all season? Stopping the pass. We saw that unfold in a major way. ECU stopped the run, stopped the short passing game early in Saturday's game, and Houston eventually just went exclusively to the air. Their only run game for basically the majority of the first half was Clayton Toon scrambles or a few Clayton Toon designed runs. The traditional running game this year has not worked on East Carolina's defense, but they have been unable to generate pressure and to cover people against downfield passing attacks against really good quarterbacks. Seth Hennigan, we've seen it on several other occasions as well. Uh, Really, ironically, since the NC State game when they played really well in some of those coverages, teams have exposed them on the back end. Safeties have been in and out of position at times. Corners have been hit or miss. And, you know, we haven't seen a pre-Washington, for whatever reason, who I thought was doing very well in the zone coverage for a couple games. I don't know if he's dealing with an injury right now, but they've inserted Juwan Powell and Demel Hickman across from Elite Fleming, and it just seems like there's been a drop-off there. Um, and then, you know, no matter how who, who, no matter who's in the secondary, if you can't get pressure with three or four guys somewhat consistently, you're going to get exposed on the back end. And ECU right now, for as good as they are against the run, they do not have guys up front who can win consistently one-on-one pass rushes against really solid offensive fronts. You know, when I look at the top of this conference right now, UCF, Houston, Tulane, Cincinnati, all those teams have pass rushers that can win in one-on-one matchups, not every time, but every now and then. ECU doesn't have that right now. They have to generate pressure via the blitz in most occasions. And so certainly this coaching staff has done a tremendous job in recruiting guys who can stop the run. They've got more run stoppers right now in the defensive front than they've had in years, but they're still struggling to generate guys who can rush the passer, win on the edge, win up the middle. You know, you still, you've still you got several pass rushers coming in with this recruiting class, but those guys will need to be developed. They're trying to develop Samuel Danka. They're trying to develop some younger guys as well. But that is a weakness of this defense, and as good of a defensive coordinator as Blake Carroll is, and I think he's excellent, it limits what you can do in terms of dropping coverage. Because if you drop coverage and you're facing a savvy quarterback, as long as he's got time to throw, he's going to eventually find guys. And he did on Saturday. We saw that play out firsthand. And then conversely, on the offensive end, we mentioned earlier getting down in the game kind of hurt you from an offensive standpoint in terms of being able to run the ball. But the other side of it is Houston's defensive backfield has struggled this year. And ECU had some one-on-one plays early in the game that they failed to take advantage of. 
and that allowed Houston, I thought, to get some confidence. You saw several guys on ECU's side having composure issues on the sideline, especially at the receiver position, kind of seemed to take them out of their headspace. But the other aspect of it is when you get down 21-0 or you're down 28-0, the pass rushers on Houston's side, yeah, they were expecting the run somewhat, but they are pinning their ears back and they're coming after your quarterback. And again, only two sacks at the end of the day, but how many times did Holton only have time to go through one or two reads? Several times. I would venture to say probably he faced pressure on close to 50% of the dropbacks, which is not good. And ECU's offensive line has done a much better job of limiting sacks this year. But if you look at the pressure rate per pro football focus, ECU ranks still in the bottom half of the country in pass protection. So they're still giving up pressures. Holt Naylor's and the receiving core have done a good job of you know, making quick plays this year. But I thought Houston did a nice adjustment for the most part of pressing ECU's receivers. And once ECU couldn't make plays downfield... That took away the quick passing game and took away some of those easy reads for Holton. The pressure started to get home, and that's when you saw the offense struggle. And they were having success running the football with Keaton Mitchell, but when you're down multiple scores and you fail to score early to keep pace with Houston in a game you needed to keep pace, then you're in trouble, uh, and we saw that unfold. So again, bad matchups from the standpoint of Houston's pass rush, which is ranked First, we talked about this on the pregame podcast. Houston's pass rush ranked first nationally, according to Pro Football Focus. They got dudes up front. ECU's offensive line, middle of the pack to below average in pass pro. And that played a role. And then on the converse side, Houston's pass offense against a very vulnerable ECU pass defense wasn't the best matchup. And ECU struggled early, which allowed that matchup to become even more lopsided as the game wore on. All right, we've got a few more points and other thoughts on this game. Let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back on the Hoist of Colors post-game podcast. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, Roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
right, welcome back on our post-game Hoist the Colors podcast. Wish I had better news for you guys. Instead, we're talking about a shocking 42-3 disappointing loss for the Pirates as they fall to 6-5 on the season. 3-4 in the AAC. That is a game worse than last year. Right now, the Pirates... uh, Need a win at Temple next week to finish 500. They finished 5-3 five and three last year in the conference. So we'll talk more about that, of course, towards the end of the show and going into next week. Let's continue on. I'm giving you my five reasons trying to explain, trying to make sense as best as I can of what we saw unfold on Saturday in Greenville. Number four is a combination of things, and it is coaching and it is player execution. Look, even points one through three, you don't get to the point of losing 42-3 to three with no penalties and no turnovers without getting outcoached. And, A, you got to credit Houston. Dana Holgerson, as much as we dislike him in Pirate Nation, is a damn good offensive coach. He's got one of the top defensive coordinator minds in the country, according to several outlets. I thought they had a tremendous game plan. I thought ECU, conversely, did not have a great game plan. Um, You saw most of the things that ECU had success with on defense last year in Houston. Some of the delayed blitzing, and uh, they brought Stringer a number of times from the Sam spot. Last year, the Sam spot got a ton of pressure on Toon. He didn't do a good job of handling it in Houston last year. Basically, all those plays that worked last year in Houston – were accounted for and erased during this game. Uh, Clayton Toon's having a much better year than a season ago. Uh, he did a good job of recognizing things, and clearly the offensive staff had prepared him for several of those looks. Uh, they also schemed up ECU a number of times against the zone defense the Pirates were trying to employ. So I thought that Houston's offensive staff did a great job. Third down continues to be an issue, whether it be execution Tackling, coverage, coaching, it's been an issue the second half of the year. ECU has not been able to get off the field on third down. Traditionally, how do you get off the field on third down? You rush the passer or you play great coverage. ECU right now not doing either one. If you don't have a great pass rusher and you don't have a great cover corner, it's tough to get off the field on third down no matter what you call. So we're seeing that now continue to be a problem offensively. Again, I thought there were some questionable calls early in the game. And again, I don't know how much of this is uh, Donnie Kirkpatrick calling plays versus Holton Naylor's making checks, but there were a few instances, third and short, ECU's throwing the football down the field. The first two series, you've got matchups you like on the outside. you got one-on-one coverage. I understand that. But at the same time, you've got to realize Okay, we could try to hit the home run here, or we could hand the ball off or throw something shorter on a on a third and three play, two consecutive series, the first time they do try to throw the short ball. But it's a, it's a ball in double coverage to C.J. Johnson. Maybe you're better off throwing the run there. I thought it was a fairly soft box. If you execute on the run there, you're probably getting a first down or at least giving yourself a chance. You could argue maybe C.J. needs to make that catch. Still not an easy catch, but a play that he probably feels he should make. 
So again, that could be coaching, that could be player execution, that could be something Holton sees at the line. We don't really know. You can kind of point to all three there. The next series, I believe, third and three again, they take a shot downfield to Isaiah Winstead. Ball comes up incomplete. Again, one-on-one matchup. You like the matchup. We talked about it going into the game. Houston's DBs have struggled, but unable to connect there. And then all of a sudden, you're already down 7 nothing. You're giving them the ball back. Later in the first quarter, or second quarter perhaps, first half, I know for sure, fourth and medium, you take another shot downfield to C.J. Johnson. On fourth down, low percentage play, comes up empty. Those plays we saw ECU make against UCF, I think they made every single one, one-on-one ball. This game, they didn't make the plays. So it's feast or famine. If it works, it's great. If it doesn't work, you don't look so smart from the standpoint of it's a low percentage play against Houston, a team that's going to score, that's going to sustain drives. You have to stay on the field, and you've got to find a way to match them score for score. So whether it be play calling from the coaching staff, whether it be play calling or checks from the quarterback, I think ECU's got to show a better understanding there of, hey, maybe we take one or two shots, but in, in – in some of these cases, maybe we're better off taking the higher percentage play. Learn to play another or live to play another down. Try to keep pace with this Houston offense, which we know is averaging 38 points a game. Even if the defense plays really well, they're probably going to score in the 30s at the least. Offense has to stay on the field. Instead, 3 for 14 on third down. And 0 for 4 on 4th down. 3 for three for 18 is the final tally there, which is an awful percentage compared to what they had going into the game, which was nearly 50% in those two categories. So Houston, again, won the money downs on both sides of the ball. They were able to sustain drives or shorten drives. As a result, you know, the execution side of things, you – Let's say one of those two fourth and mediums in Houston territory hit in the first half when it's only 7 nothing. Let's say you get a touchdown on one of those drives. It changes the complete feel of the game. This is the first game in a long time in Daddy Ficklin Stadium that ECU really never had momentum, legitimate, sustained momentum the entire game. Obviously, if you never score a touchdown, it's kind of hard to do that. But it just felt like, even when they were down 14-0, 21-0, hey, if we just get a touchdown here, it could change everything. That's kind of the feeling you had in the building, but it never materialized. Houston put the squash on every you know, drive. Uh, then when, when they did get the ball, they would sustain drives. They had touchdown drives, uh, long touchdown drives here. Let's see if I can pull it up. Yep, they had touchdown drives of 77, 68, 92 in the first half. Coming out of the break in the second half, you want to you know, think maybe, hey, we get a stop, score a touchdown, maybe we're back in it. Nope, big kick return, followed by a 61-yard touchdown drive, 75-yard touchdown drive, 73-yard touchdown drive. All the drives were long, and it was just one of those days for ECU. So that brings me into my final point which is just that. Sometimes 
it's not your day. And look, sports are crazy. Sometimes you've got crazy results. We saw it across the country in college football today with some scores that you didn't expect. Navy goes into Orlando, beats UCF when the Knights had a chance to host the American Athletic Conference Championship just by beating Navy in South Florida. Instead, they're now going to be in a dogfight just to make the game. Certainly, we've seen it when you know UCF came here. They got outplayed in every single phase. And this was kind of the opposite of that. Certainly, you could argue that ECU had poor, under their under par performances against Navy and Tulane, but at least in each of those instances, you can point to two to three plays in those games that would have changed everything and kept ECU either A, on top in the end of the day, in the case of Navy, or B, at Tulane, if Holton doesn't throw that pick, if you don't give up a big play right after those picks, you're right in the game. Instead, you end up with losses. But in this case, in this case, nothing, really nothing went your way. I mean, outside of the overthrow and the pick to Juwan Powell, nothing nothing really went ECU's way in this game. Uh, there were no 50-50 balls that the Pirates came down with. You know, they didn't really challenge much defensively. Um that is something I wanted to bring up. And, you know, it's, it's weird. You don't turn the ball over, but you do turn it over on downs three times. You know, you don't commit any penalties for the first time in 10 years. Last time was the New Orleans Bowl that happened. Also, double-digit loss, by the way. Uh, but still, you know, I do want to, not to completely shift gears here, but I do want to bring up the fact that it is interesting with the way he's playing defense right now. A lot of soft coverage, not many contested balls at all. So we haven't seen, if you think about it, how few defensive holdings and defensive pass interferences have we seen from ECU's defensive backfield this year? I mean, very few, which on on one hand is a positive, but the other hand is it shows the Pirates aren't playing any contested coverage. They're not playing much man coverage. They're not doing a bunch of grabbing and pushing which is is clearly by design because, A, if you don't have the corners to do it, it's tough to do it. But a lot of these teams ECU is playing in the American are playing that press man coverage, or they're at least playing it every now and then. And sure, they might get a pass interference or two, but if you play that way the entire game, the refs aren't going to call it every single time. Uh, I do think ECU needs to find a little bit more of a balance in terms of how they're playing coverage right now. You know, if you're if you're worried about getting beat deep a lot, um, I understand playing a lot of zone coverage, some soft coverage, but still would like to see some more mixed in. And 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 don't be afraid if you're a DB at ECU right now to grab and do a little bit of physical contact because right now we're seeing ECU's defensive or uh, the defenses ECU's facing do that a lot to them, and it's only being called maybe once or twice a game, and then they let it go the rest of the game. I mean, CJ Johnson gets held, I think on 90% of his targets, and maybe one or two are called per game. So um, Isaiah Winstead has turned into kind of a similar deal. These guys are bigger receivers. Maybe it doesn't look as obvious when they're getting held versus smaller receivers, but still, I I still would like to see ECU play maybe a little bit more aggressive coverage at some point because if you're going to give up the soft stuff 
or soft zone coverages and, and get beat downfield for 15, 20 yard pass plays at a time and chunk plays still, you know, might as well go man every now and then mix it up a little more. And, you know, they did go man. They did give up some big plays in man, but still wasn't a lot of physical contact on those plays. You know, I, th- I think Juwan Powell got beaten man one time and one of the safeties as well. Um, but, hey, don't be afraid to hold a little bit, do some pressing, some some physical play at the line rather than giving free releases. And certainly not having Jaquan McMillan makes you a little hesitant there, but whether it be recruiting better physical corners or finding some way to maybe mix up that, that a little bit more might be a game plan for ECU going forward. Anyway, that's kind of a sidetrack to my, my point number five. Um, it just wasn't ECU's day. No matter which way you slice it, it just was an off day, and it was a great day for Houston. You know, they played seemingly the perfect game. ECU played pretty much poor in every phase. I mean, the one thing they did well today was punt the football. I thought Luke Larson punted the football from start to finish as well as he ever has in the ECU uniform. So that's a positive, as well as no turnovers. Keaton Mitchell, I thought, was his usual self. He's unreal back-to-back. 1,000-yard seasons. But outside of that, just miserable. None of the skilled guys out wide really showed up to play. Holton Aylers played, you know, one of his poor games in some time. The defense didn't cover well. They didn't get any pass rush. It was just a, a tough day, frustrating day. So here we are, 42-3, to the setback, 39-point defeat. At the hands of the Houston Cougars, ECU finishes 2-2 two two in Big 12 play for the 2022 season. And it, as disappointing of a loss as it is, and as shocking of a loss as it is, the Pirates still have something to play for. They got a lot to play for. Starting next week at Temple, you got a chance to secure a second consecutive winning season, and you got a chance to go into a bowl game and win that as well and get eight wins. And so... Certainly a massively disappointing day. There's no way to sugarcoat it. It was a miserable day, embarrassing day to be an ECU fan, to be an ECU player, ECU coach. But uh, there's only one way to respond from this, and that's to go out and kick Temple's tail, and it's not going to be easy. They're a much-improved team. They've improved throughout the second half of the season, but we're going to really find out once again just how resilient this team is. They've been resilient throughout the season. I thought that they played, at times, um, some soft football today, and I think that that will be called out by the veterans of the team, by the coaching staff. I just think it was not – this was not the ECU football team we've seen. And for the reasons I tried to explain in this podcast, I think that had something to do with it, but it just was a weird day. And let's hope it's just an aberration. I, I truly think it will be. Just an aberration. I expect this team to bounce back and win at Temple, but they got to go out and earn it. They got to go out and play pissed off this week. They got to be pissed off in practice. They got to be pissed off at Thanksgiving, and they got to take it onto the field in Lincoln Financial and, and find a way to get out of there with their seventh win and take that momentum into a bowl game and, and, and cap the season off right. Because this was not it. This was this is not the way the seniors want to go out, and I think that they're going to try to do something about it. Luckily, it's not their final game. They've got more football ahead of them because I just feel like they'll have something to prove after this game. And if not, I would be massively disappointed. So 
We'll find out next Saturday. We'll know this time next week at Temple. Until then, that'll do it for the Hoist the Colors post-game podcast. We'll be back with you guys in the coming days. Uh, thank you for listening. Sorry I couldn't bring you better news, but appreciate the support as always. We will talk to you guys next time.